Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The Therapy Thoughts Podcast is all about breaking down therapy-related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So join me for quick and direct educational episodes and some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together, we are going to break down stigma. We're going to help each other make peace with mind, body, and food. We're going to make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Therapy Thoughts. This is Tiffany Rowe coming at you live from Utah. Today, I am sharing an interview with you from Dr. Colleen Reichman. She's a bud of mine, a licensed clinical psychologist, and she's practicing out in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We met through the Instagram world, and she's always been super cool to me, very supportive, uh, is another person in the world fighting diet culture, working with eating disorders. And she also has a private practice. It's called Wildflower Therapy. And Colleen, she has recovered from an eating disorder herself. And this experience really sparked her passion for her work. She's also an advocate for intersectional feminism, body liberation, fat positivity, and health at every size. She speaks at national and regional eating disorder conferences and writes about body image and eating disorders for More Love, Project Heal, the Mighty, Recovery Warriors, Audios, Barbie, and more. You're going to love this one. We break down lots of cool things, including how to have mental health during a pandemic. We talk about the wellness diet, wellness culture, toxic fitness culture, and infertility, which we both have lived experience with. So enjoy this good one from my friend. Kick back and relax and get some therapy thoughts. So welcome to the podcast, my dear friend and colleague, Colleen. Welcome. Um, Why don't you tell folks who you are, where you are, what you do? Sure. I am a clinical psychologist who specializes in eating disorders and body image, and I have a private practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um. You are one of my Instagram friends. We've never met IRL, (laughs) but one of those people who I'm like, this is someone who has my back. I have her back. And it's really cool to know you just because of social media. Yeah. I've always felt like that with you. I think I told you, I've always felt like that. There's no weirdness. There's no competition. It's always just been good, good vibes. Always since 2017, when we started showing up on that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, you bought one of the original Therapy is Cool t-shirts that I made. Which I love. (laughs) And I always get stopped when I wear it. It's such like a, it's a conversation starter. Totally. You got to understand, we were literally in my living room, me, my husband, (laughs) and like my one employee, like, folding up envelopes and handwriting addresses, like sending out those shirts. Yes. So I was grateful. Yeah. I love it. 
<laughs> so thanks for supporting me. I'm super excited for folks to hear your message. I mean, we have so much in common and so much we could talk about. I think we should talk about what's happening right here, right now. First of all, a pandemic and how to keep like mental health, how to keep recovery. How, how do we survive <laughs> or can we? Yeah. I think that's the million dollar question right now, especially as we kind of roll into this. What are we in six months now? Is it six months of this pandemic? Wow, I think you're right. It's like a half a year. Yeah. So I feel like that's been on my mind more. It's almost like, did you notice that the first month or so people were in like a weird, like, this is, it's not that there was like camaraderie kind of and. Mm. People were jumping on TikTok and stuff like that. So I feel like as time has marched on, it's just gotten more and more tiring. Yes. Oh, it's just, and I'm like definitely feeling it. So, um, yeah. And in terms of keeping recovery going, keeping like recovery efforts there, I think it's so tricky right now. I mean, I do think there's a lot of things like, going back to basics things that people can be doing. But in my opinion, it's about like the motivation and the hope and keeping that, like finding ways to foster that right now. Mm. That's most important. Yeah. So not so much like these big breakthroughs and pushing through like huge hurdles, but like, don't give up, keep yeah. going. And how to foster the hope. Cause I noticed with a lot of like, for example, Instagram posts that I, I, when I'm brainstorming them, I'm like, this is all applicable when we're out and about, and this is applicable when we can like see each other and have these relationships. And cause so much of it, in my opinion, is about like reconnecting with other people and your soul needs and stuff like that. And relation, it just, the relational aspect is so important for recovery. Mm. And that's not super accessible right now. Yeah. So I've thought a lot about, well, how do we keep, you know, foster hope and keep motivation there? Even though a lot of the reasons people are trying to recover might not be super accessible. Yeah. I mean, accessibility is always an issue now more than ever. Right. Right. What, I mean, so we're both in the therapy office still, whether it's, in person or virtual, I know I'm seeing just more symptoms, more expression of symptoms, higher anxiety, more depression, more suicidality, more relapses. Um, are you seeing the same thing? Yes, for sure. The relapses and suicidality, I think, has increased exponentially. And it's not just, I mean, I think, um, like, politically what's going on has been really tough on people um like really amazing in certain ways like the black lives matter it's the uprising and everything but you know it takes like it's i definitely see just the political climate and the election and things like that as being stressful yeah it can really pull for like certain symptoms in people absolutely so many stressors at once, even if this is positive change, it is stressful change. I'm curious what your, what's the theme? Like what's helping folks, what mental health kind of tidbits are you seeing happen in the therapy room? 
Um, I've noticed that, which this is, I will, I will acknowledge, I feel this is like a cliche answer, but it's true. I've noticed that really basic self-care things, like going back to basics with that right now is incredibly important. Like pausing to um, rest, especially when, you know, people are really involved in like activism. And I think that pausing to take care of yourself and make sure you can keep at it, like this is a marathon, um, has been important. And I haven't had to remind people of that as much until now. And then mm -hmm. um, fostering connection with other people, despite finding creative ways to still connect, especially when people have that, like that relational part of their recovery, like wanting to connect with others, wanting to um, like maybe find a partner or have children or just like be in your relationships be more present fostering that connection or finding creative ways to do so is incredibly important. It's got to be creative. It's so tricky. It's so tricky. And the painful reality of how impossible it is right now. Like we need self-care. We need to foster connection and there's literal barriers to that. But I think you're just keeping it super simple. That's great advice. Yeah. And we got to find it. Cause I know everyone's pretty sick of Zoom at this point. Well, I will say from my house, here, here, Zoom at this point. But I almost find like it's there's a behavioral activation element. Like I know, and you know, behavioral activation is used for depression. You don't want to do it. The thing that you don't want to do, like get out of bed or go to work, is very healing. It can be to just do that thing. Mm. And I find for the Zoom meetups with friends, that's what happens. It's almost like behavioral activation for this age. Like probably none of us want to go to them anymore, like these Zoom coffee dates and stuff. And still, when you do them, it is not the same as in person, but it's very, it's still, it's something. And it's yeah. I love that. And thanks for like the psychological framework to understand there's a why behind this and there's a reason to do it when we're doing what we don't want to do there's going to be a mental health payoff right um i've also i downloaded this app because my friends told me about it it's I think it's called house party hmm. and it's like a group you can play games together um and so hmm. it's like a group facetime call or something but it's a game app and you can like do charades or like guess words and it's another fun way to like break stuff up that's cool yeah, or like me and my group of friends will do D and D virtually, play Dungeons and Dragons, like trying to d find connection in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, you got to get creative. You do, and even I've started to send like one gratitude letter a week because even snail mail, I feel like it's something different. It's a change up, and also the gratitude piece really helps me personally. So that type of connection, I think could also be something to throw in there. Oh, I love that idea. That's gotta be therapeutic to like sit down and write and put it in an envelope and then the person receiving it. I mean, it, that yeah. feels like revolutionary to me. Cause we, I feel like we as humans, we never, when you're writing a gratitude letter where you're just literally like, here's why I'm grateful for you. All of these reasons, all these like really small little nuanced reasons. I realize we don't do that in person. like humans don't do that often. Mm. I sit you down and explain to you like everything I love about you in this very genuine, no holds bar way, you know? 
I love that. I hope that's a challenge we take away from the podcast. Like, let's write a gratitude letter, snail mail style, and spread that to someone. Yes. That's beautiful. Support the post office. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Buy stamps. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about, I mean, I love that we covered just some general like mental health tips for folks in this just crazy, crazy time. Let's dive into some of your passions. Um, Let's talk about the wellness diet. I know you are open about your lived experience and recovery from an eating disorder, including orthorexia, right? Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us what the wellness diet is, what that means for folks who aren't familiar with that. Sure. The wellness diet is, in my opinion, the newest um, face of diet culture. And it's basically just this whole idea of, well, we're doing this for, nope, you know, we don't care about weight loss anymore. Like this is for our health. This is to take care of ourselves. Um, But it's really, it kind of creates the same obsessional thinking for a lot of people that focusing on weight loss and the number does. And I personally think a lot of it does come back to weight loss. It's just shrouded in like, that it's not about weight loss, Mm -hmm. which makes it very sneaky. Um, And that's why I, like I, my relapse happened in graduate school into orthorexia. And it was because I kind of got bamboozled into like, and I bamboozled everyone else around me, like in such an amazing way. I was just like, this is about my health. This is like, I'm taking care of myself. And it's just, I think harder to almost catch mm-hmm. or falling down the rabbit hole. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the same thing in terms of obsessing about your weight and the number obsessing about perfect health and wellness is a prison cell just painted a different color. Mm. I want to play devil's advocate just for educational purposes for folks who are listening. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think the wellness diet can be wellness focused and health focused? Um, and be adaptive and be positive without that obsessional risk. I think that if we were to focus on food, I want to be careful with how I answer this. I think if we were to focus on food and movement as a facet of wellness as a whole, which is so big and complex and multifaceted and has things like our, you know, your soul needs, your spirituality, your relationships, your um, intellectual needs. Like there's so many different elements to it. And if we, as a society, were able to pay attention to food and movement as one small piece of that, then I could see it being helpful because food and movement is a piece of it. It's just not everything or even the majority right at the end of the day it's like there's some i don't know the study but there's there was some research that came out that it's like you can control 10 percent of your health i think but i could be off with food and exercise and then the 90 percent is like genetics and um you know the whole host of other things that play into wellness yeah uh i think it's it's an important conversation to have because 
this is diet culture with a mask, right? And it's saying wellness is good, health is good. And we're not arguing that. Like it is okay to value health and wellness, but I think this nuanced discussion of but food and exercise is not just that. Right. And and the diet culture has said this is what matters and it's about controlling your body, right? And so this kind of intention being part of it mm-hmm. and flexibility being part of it and like having a good life balance, but I'm with you. How can you be so focused on wellness, but neglect all these other areas and claim it's not just about weight loss? I think that'd be really, really tricky. Yeah, because I, like stress is it when it comes to wellness, stress is a huge factor in how well we are and what happens to our health and the obsession with food and obsession with finding like perfect food and perfect movement creates stress easily. Mm -hmm. So it's like a, yeah, I think it's a fine line to walk when it kind of um, turns on you. Yeah. I'm sure listeners have seen kind of those educational memes on Instagram that are like, what's, you negate any like positive outcome of the kale you're eating by the obsession and stress of focusing so hard on kale. Mm-hmm. The idea that the stress offsets whatever potential benefits may come from like the health quote unquote right. choices that you're making. So I think that's a really important point, the stress for sure. Yeah. Um, so what's the wellness diet look like today? How do people catch that? Because like you said, it's super sneaky. Oh, okay. I think, and this is just from the Instagram world and the, the comments that I've received in the past week, I really think intermittent fasting has like taken over as the new, because it like paleo, keto, these four things that I think the wellness diet they, they fell under that umbrella. And now I think intermittent fasting has really um, taken over as the new way to control your body and manipulate weight, in my opinion. And also because, you know, the people who advocate for it constantly circle back to it's about health, you know, and there's all these metabolic benefits and things like that. Um, and it's very hard to, <laughs> it's very hard to, maneuver your way around those conversations because I do think people feel incredibly like married to the idea mm-hmm. there. And it's, I don't know. I think it was Alan Levinowich on Christy Harrison's podcast talked about like the, um, the connection between religion and dieting mm-hmm. and how sometimes dieting, like when you're questioning someone's choices around food, it can feel like you're questioning their religion. Cause it's so like, it just becomes very important to people. Yeah. yeah. So I also get why people get mad at me when I'm like intermittent fasting is a sham. I understand why people fire back. Um, that doesn't mean I don't still believe it, but I, I understand how it can feel like really personal. It's deeply held beliefs. And this, this religious note is absolutely like a great comparison Um, when you're talking about intermittent fasting and paleo and keto and fasting and metabolic benefits, um, I saw a friend last week talk about how they were like day nine of a water fast. Mm. Um, and I immediately wanted to like call an ambulance for them 
but this is happening, right? There's retreats all over the world. Um, this idea of the longer you can deprive your body, the better. Um, and as eating disorder professionals, I think we both probably have the same reaction of like, this is really dangerous and really disordered. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with this wellness culture, right? Is it touts health, but is completely coming with huge risks and huge consequences, including eating disorders. Um, right. What would you say about water fasts, the kind of this new moral diet? Ugh. I think it's, I mean, of course, like so dangerous. And also, I also want to say that I understand, like if you're listening right now and you've considered doing one of these things, I understand why that's enticing because a lot of the promises like do this nine days and you will have health, you know, or just follow this intermittent fasting schedule and you'll have health, like things will be fixed. Whereas what you and I are talking about is like, you know, live in this very gray area, nuanced way where you pay attention to all these different um, arenas of your life and you know, it's just, I just think it's less black and white and we like those black and white options like water fasts, but at the end of the day, it just, yeah, it's so, it's disordered, you know, like it just is and it's dangerous. And I haven't looked into what happens medically or physiologically, but I just imagine it's, um, wrecks havoc on your body and mentally, I cannot even imagine, you know, what, what happens mentally in those nine days. Yeah, it's a scary trend that's part of like this wellness culture, this wellness diet, which is very much connected to diet culture. But I think I appreciate the work you're doing on Instagram. You get a lot of kickback for calling this stuff out, but it's just the 2020s version of what's happened every decade, right? It's always a shape-shifting way to keep us suppressed. Right. That's and that's exactly what it is. And I understand, like I said, the kickback because I think it becomes very personal. And when you're talking about like people searching for health, it probably I mean it does feel personal and it feels like the stakes are really high, like this is your life and you know, even if the underlying it's always simmering like weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. Um I, I get why it feels like personal and it feels like I could be attacking people. I promise I'm not, but I understand that feeling, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. We've both been there. Yeah. And so that's why we have a voice on this other side. We advocate because it's, we've seen the downside that isn't talked about. We've seen the obsession and the suffering and the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, none of these come with like that warning label that comes on cigarettes and they should, right? Like yeah. here's the potential fallbacks and here's who should not take this on. And the likelihood of you being, really damaged by this is close to a hundred percent. I mean, we don't have that informed consent. Yeah. And there really should, be. I always think about that with the whole 30 for some reason, specifically, like I really think that should come with a warning at the beginning of that book. Like here's what I'm, you know, here's what the author is saying you will get from this. And then here are all the risks and the risks are pretty steep. Yeah. Right. And we talk about this in the recovery world all the time or in health at every size. We're not saying like health is bad. We're not saying wellness is bad. We're not saying even weight loss is bad. But what we're saying is you can do that. Here's the risks. Here's what you may not know. And here's how ineffective it is. The long term goal 
right? There's no informed consent. And that's the conversation I know I have with clients again and again is just letting you know, like, we understand why you want to do this, but it, you've been sold a lie of what the promises are. And a lie, in my opinion, as to what health and wellness actually is. Mm. Again, it's these black and white ideas about it. And it's, it's just so gray area and nuanced. And there's so many other things that food and exercise and so many ways that food and exercise become very, very stressful and mm-hmm. make you unwell. At the yeah, end of the day. exactly. Food and exercise, important here for it. But if it's making you unwell, that's not the purpose. Right. Like there, I think there's a quote, I forget who put it on Instagram, but it's like an obsession with being healthy isn't healthy. Mm. An obsession. Mm-hmm. So by definition, that becomes unhealthy. Yeah. I think this ties in well to like toxic fitness culture, which is kind of under the umbrella of wellness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tell us what that looks like. Um, I think toxic fitness culture looks like um, people like peddling this idea that there are no days off, mm. and that um, more is always better. I think we've seen this in the past, like I'll say like 15, 20 years or so, this like more, more, more attitude where things become like more almost like militant with these type of these boot camp style um, workouts and CrossFit where there's apparently like an award you get if you throw up, like you get some type of shirt or something or like, you know, it's not just marathons anymore. People do ultra marathons. And I'm not saying it's all inherently disordered, but I think it really always pushes the line when you're talking about no days off, no excuses, overriding your body's like what, what your body's asking for in the moment. And, um, I think toxic fitness culture can also look like movement being not fun at all. Like movement being very, very scheduled people feeling like a lot of guilt for taking a day off, um, not being joyful or intuitive about it. And yeah, it just becomes like another facet of an eating disorder. Exactly. It's, this is all tricky because we're talking about things that are positive things in life. Mm -hmm. Again, we're not anti-health. We're not anti-wellness. We're not anti-exercise, but the risks of the obsession and the fixation, who's talking about that? It's, it's the minority. It's those of us mostly who have like recovered or in the haze field. Yeah. And that's, I think, uh, right, like recently Jillian Michaels said some misinformed stuff about intuitive eating and haze and diet culture. We're such a minority voice and we're up against this huge, giant culture. But we have to, right, like we have to speak out to these risks and that fitness can be toxic. Exercise can be unhealthy. And there's a point where we need to check this. Any suggestions to keep that in check or how to find like a good relationship with exercise? Um, in terms of keeping the obsession, I do think sometimes when you're too caught up in it, a formal, a break from all formal movement for a while, like maybe a, a few months or so can be really healing. Mm-hmm. I think at some point you really you've disconnected from intuition and intuition is part of movement. Like, you know, if you think about how you moved as a kid, 
kids are generally like pretty active creatures at the end of the day and they're not but they're not like i have to run until the clock goes to that you know 30 minute mark like they're running and stopping or, and like dancing and just moving in all these ways that we like lose as we get older which is so sad i think mm. um, so if you're wanting to the idea behind joyful movement is hopefully reconnecting to some of that like how you used to like to move and what actually makes you happy so um with a lot of people i create this like red yellow green plan when it comes to movement where red is all the movement that you hate and you only do for weight loss or for like, manipulating your body yellow is the stuff that you um maybe like a little bit maybe dislike a little bit and a lot of the time you're doing it for weight loss and then greens just movement that you you would do if you were on an island alone and were never going to see there was no external gaze ever again um and then take it from there in terms of deciding what to what to implement oh i love that what's yeah. your what's your green exercise my personal green exercise mm -hmm. i really enjoy running which i don't talk about often because i think people i don't you know i think it can easily like there's all sorts of people in the world telling you to run you don't need an eating disorder specialist talking about it um but i do enjoy that and dancing yes and dancing's like I would say, I would say they're both super joyful, actually. Like yeah. I feel so happy doing both activities, but dancing is like funny too. Whereas running is not funny. <laughs> right. That you can have that silliness component. Yeah. And let me, I mean, when you say like running and you're kind of careful about saying that, or you have to have it with a disclaimer, I think it's really interesting that in the like recovery world, we've kind of elevated certain movement over others. Like yoga is safe, but running's not. And I think it's important to know, like you can be recovered and run again. Yeah. And, and it, it can be really, I, the thing is, I think we lose nuance in that conversation because, and I will even say for myself, I pull back from talking about it because like I said, the world's telling you to do like one type of movement. Mm -hmm. You don't need somebody else saying like, by the way, you know, I just think it's, we lose nuance trying to be really careful, mm -hmm. but any movement, like if, if people really find joy in like, I don't know, CrossFit, something mm -hmm. that I always think about and I'm like, there's no way you could find joy in that. That looks so awful. <laughs> but if that, like, I think that people do, you know what I mean? And I think that that's, it's to each their own. Totally. Um, saying that it's automatically disordered makes no sense at the end of the day yeah but you're right there's nuance intention what's your relationship like with it is there flexibility i think no matter what the movement is mm -hmm. um we get to look at that and yeah at the end of the day it's, it's a relationship with ourself and only we are gonna know that but i love to hear your answers especially the dancing you know i'm here for that oh yeah oh i forgot you yeah you do the dance parties <laughs> I'm trying to dance and jump rope like all day. Those are my green exercises. Cool. You know what also would be cool? That just makes me think of hula hooping. Oh my gosh. Be a great addition. 
a lot of times when I'm doing the dance parties, what like my personal favorite is I record myself dancing and singing and then send the video off to like several people and be like, here you go. Like just a little singing oh, man. voice to you. I need to get in your inner circle for the gratitude mail and the dancing singing videos. Oh my God, done. <laughs> <laughs> you always had said that. Cause... Uh, so much joy. We got to figure out joy in this pandemic. Um, something that we haven't talked about, I mean, we've covered mental health in a pandemic, wellness, diet, fitness, culture, a lot of nuance here. Me and you have both, uh, dealt with infertility mm-hmm. and you're, I mean, I'm not, it's not like I know a lot of people, but you're the only other professional I know, like who's a therapist, who's really open about this. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about infertility and life live life in a pandemic living with infertility yeah that's so interesting that because now that i think about it i don't yeah i don't know anyone but you either i think that's like talking about it and not that we're talking about it even on a regular basis but circling back to it um which is i think speaks to there's just a lot of stigma around it and a lot of which i then as per usual, decide to like push back and do the opposite. So when I went through IVF and when Ezra, my son was born, like he had a onesie that the onesie he wore home from the hospital said, um, I'm so cool. I used to be frozen. <laughs> and I was like, what? Taking a picture of this, like it's going to be the, cause I just think it's, uh, if it's going to be stigmatized, I'm going to push back and make sure it's kind of like loud and in your face, like that I'm not hiding. Yeah. Like, that, an idea yeah it, it, stigma is a weird thing for something that's not we have no control over mm-hmm. just like mental illness um the isolation and the quietness only reinforces that so i'm grateful to have you in the trenches talking about it fighting that stigma because it's such an isolating experience that impacts mental health so we got to take it on yeah, I've heard it called, and this is like a gendered term, so I don't love it, but the silent sorority, mm. people going through infertility, because it's just, you're all like in this club, but so few people, especially when it's happening, which I'm guilty of, I didn't talk much about it when it was happening, because it's it's so incredibly painful. I think it's hard to wrap your head around how painful it is, unless you've lived through it, but there's not much talking and like connection and camaraderie and support when you're going through it. And it's, it's not a Tupperware illness, but you know what I mean? Like when you have the flu, people bring Tupperware dinners to you and say like, I'm supporting you. And infertility is not a Tupperware illness where people are showing up that way. Oh, wow. I, I really resonate with that. And I, I used to be, quite transparent with my infertility journey and me and my partner were like, yes, let's take this online. Like we have a calling, we have a purpose. Uh, that was last September and you know, it didn't work. And I had to deal uh, the fact that I was like, I have to deal with the internet and this was too much. Um, plus navigating the mental health 
like consequences of that. And since then I have pulled back from talking about it because it's like you said, it's too painful. Yeah. And so the, the balance of like trying to be transparent and fight stigma while also trying to manage something that I lovingly call hell. Mm -hmm. I, it's hard to have that burden when you're dealing with such a painful experience. Right. Yeah. It's, it like sometimes when I talk about it, which, <laughs> yeah, I, like I get chills when I talk about it because it's just the most awful. I always say it's the worst thing I've ever been through, and um, I get why it's too hard to talk about on the internet sometimes, and I get why we're not all like connecting with one another and sharing these stories all the time. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think that's for sure part of it too. Other than stigma, there's just mm -hmm. this. It's you don't you can't know how much it hurts unless you've been there. It's like yeah. unspeakable sometimes. Yeah. And when we both have dealt with um, comments from being open about it online that are the embodiment of things not to say to people dealing with infertility, right? A lot of judgment and morality and shame and pressure. It's, it is a truly complex, misunderstood, stigmatized experience. Yes. So, I mean, on one end, I mean, I, we started this conversation. And I'm like, yeah, we got to open up. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, no, it's too freaking painful. Um, <laughs> and I know me and you would DM when we were both kind of in the trenches and check in on each other and talk about infertility. What other resources would you say are there for folks who are dealing with it? Um, I would say resolve groups, and I think they're running virtually right now. Resolve groups were, I'll be, I'll be honest, at times very, very helpful and at times um, just brought more pain. So I think it's like touch and go. Um, it base, it's probably based on just, you know, who's in the group and the group leader and stuff like that. But those can be helpful. There's an article that I can send you. And if you want to put it in the show notes that I found very, um, I found solace in it, even though it was, it's, yeah, it's very painful to read, but it's an article. And I think it was in L magazine, maybe like five years ago about, mm. it's called like in the loneliness of infertility or something like that, or mm. fertility limbo, something like that, um, that I found helpful. And then I know we don't have control over this, but little things that people did along the way, like I'll never forget my um, sister-in-law sending me like a packet of seeds and saying like, hopeful for spring or something. And I was just like, oh, that's like, I like cheer up thinking about it. And my best friend sent me like a giving key that said hope right before like going to IVF. So I think the smallest things can be so meaningful. Like if you're, if you're listening and you're looking for how to support somebody, small little acts like that, I think are like, you won't realize how much they land. Yeah. It's this ongoing living, breathing grief process and having people be there and care, Yeah. but it's so mm -hmm. stigmatized and so unknown. It's like, we don't know to do that. So I love that permission and invitation. Yeah. Whew. So, and it's a tough conversation. So even just people showing up and saying like, I'm here, I don't get it, but I'm not going to push toxic positivity on you and say like, just keep going. Like I'll, if you want that, 
I'm here for it. But otherwise, I'm here to listen. And yeah. just, or not, we don't have to talk. I'll just sit with you. I love those. I'll add a link to, I did a post, a couple of posts back in the day, 20 things to say to people dealing with infertility, 20 things not to say. Yeah. Um, not to shame anyone, but we just need education. Like when we don't talk about stuff, we we get to share. So I agree with you that toxic positivity and platitudes are not helpful. Yeah. They rarely are. <laughs> just period. Yeah. Maybe that could just be a blanket rule. <laughs> That's an Instagram graphic right there. Okay. So um, let's, let's get to the last topic of this. You freaking wrote a book. <laughs> it's a big deal. Gosh, it's happening. <laughs> um, I actually had the pleasure of reading your book. I got a sneak peek and you co-authored with Jennifer Rollin mm -hmm. and y'all, y'all killed it. Thank you. It, I was smiling. It's relatable. I laughed. I choked up and I saw an acknowledgement of like social justice issues and discrimination and marginalized bodies and acknowledgement of like privilege, both thin and white privilege in a way that hasn't been done and is so necessary, not just in mental health, but especially in the eating disorder field. And today, I mean, y'all are trailblazers. So tell us about this book because no one else has read it yet. Yeah, well, and I do think we want to be very transparent that we're, you know, smaller bodied white women. So we are, we, this has traditionally been the face of the eating disorder field. Um, and that this is like the people who really need to be talking and we don't want to speak over anyone's voice. And so we really need like more black and brown voices and um, people in larger bodies taking the mic. So I think we want to you know, be really transparent about that. Um, and yeah, there is acknowledgement of that, acknowledgement of that privilege woven throughout, but it's basically uh, how to guide in terms of recovery um, without, with the, you know, it's not a replacement for therapy at all, but it's kind of a, these are some steps to take and these are different arenas to pay attention to. Um, and with our personal journeys kind of woven throughout, um, and it touches on things that we haven't seen touched in most eating disorder recovery books, like, yeah, for example, fat positivity and how we need that even further than fat acceptance. Because acceptance, if you think about it, it's a pretty low bar mm. to strive for. So fat positivity being something to um, incorporate into your work. Um, it touches, there's a chapter on trauma. There's a chapter on movement, like the gym and things like that, family members. So it's really... A, a, what we want to be like a more nuanced look at recovery and that includes like journal prompts and act, action steps to take. And then our, our voices throughout. And what we wanted it to be was, I feel like there's so many books that are kind of like a trudge to get through. So we were hoping it could be like a more lighthearted and it sounds weird, but fun at times look mm -hmm. at sort of recovery um, where we could like poke fun at ourselves you know, the process sometimes and, and yet still have it be really impactful and, you know, have powerful takeaways. 
I loved it. And it felt like talking with a friend. Um, the way you wrote it was conversational, relatable. And I really appreciated the transparency about your own experiences being folks who have lived with mental illness, lived with eating disorders and recovered and talked about the aspects that are so hidden and keep the stigma alive. And I related and I loved it. And I'm just grateful you wrote it. And there's tons of tools mm -hmm. that I'm going to use with clients, right? Like it's super educational and you get a lot of good ideas there. So you have my full endorsement, obviously. I'm stoked on it. Thank you. That means so much. And I could paper a wall with how many rejection letters I got for trying to get like a publisher to take that book on. So I'm just so it's been like such a labor of love for years at this point. So I'm just yeah. so excited for it to come out. When's it drop? Uh, March 2021. Oh my gosh. Okay, it's called The Inside Scoop on Eating Disorder Recovery. Advice from two therapists who have been there. Mm -hmm. Is there going to be ice cream on the cover? I believe there will be. Yeah, yeah. Add to The Inside Scoop. Like, yeah. it's, it's right there. Yes. <laughs> oh, so cool. Um, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts and your expertise. You have the best calming, soothing energy. I just... I'm always so happy when I get to chat with you. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Um, tell the listeners where they can find you, where they can pre-order your book, how to follow you. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Colleen Reichman or um, Facebook. I think it's the same thing, Dr. Colleen Reichman. My website is www.colleenreichman.com. And the pre-order for the book we're still figuring out the inner workings of that. So um, to be continued with that. But yeah. So if you're listening to this at a later date, I mean, that information will populate. You can get the book through her website or check out Instagram. We'll link that in yeah. the show notes. So it'll be, it'll be here eventually. Okay, my friend, as always, it's a pleasure and make sure to follow Colleen and get that book when it drops because it is so good. Thank you so much. Okay, take care. Thanks for listening to the Therapy Thoughts podcast, but remember, this podcast is not therapy. This is for general informational purposes only. The information on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. This also isn't intended to be financial, legal, medical, or therapeutic advice. Make sure you're always working with your own personal licensed mental health counselor. May you be well. I appreciate you tuning in and supporting the Therapy Thoughts podcast. If you want to dive deeper into intuitive eating and body image and self-love, head over to tiffanyrow.com. It's the hub of all of my courses, the podcast, my merch, and information about doing counseling and coaching with me. I hope you guys stick around for more. We have lots of exciting interviews and thought leaders coming onto the podcast. So until next time, may you be well.